And college basketball is back. Me and Leaf Tulane, we will discuss and break down some of the top performances from college basketball's opening night. Stay tuned. Shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. And today's episode is brought to you by Sweatblock. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try Sweatblock. Save 20% with the promo code Locked On at sweatblock.com. It is also available on Amazon. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies. And my co-host is Leif Tuling. And you know Leif, the guy that watches more college basketball than anyone else. I don't even know if he's had a chance to sleep because there was so much college basketball going on yesterday. And NBA, it was like the first time that I can remember that there was every NBA team played last night, and that's because of the, the election. And like they were blocked off in like 15 minute increments. So I went to the Mavs game last night and it started at 845, which felt like 945 because of the whole time zone thing. So I'm at the Mavs game and I'm trying to like watch college basketball and, and keep up with the box scores. It was just an overload of basketball last, last night. But I know somehow Leaf was able to watch a lot of college basketball and the Jazz played too. So how did you divide your time last night? I uh, I was lucky enough that I wasn't on the schedule for the Jazz, and I, I love going to the games, but I had a little bit of other work in the morning, and I watched college basketball during my other work. I watched an entire game on the TV at the radio station, and then I went home and watched copious amounts of basketball till the point where I needed to get up and do something and then played some basketball. So it was, it was a basketball-heavy day for me as well. All right, so let's let's get into it. Who is your top breakout performer as far as NBA draft prospects from yesterday's opening day? I think it has to be Jet Howard. I, I had him on my radar. I, I made myself a little note um, on my phone. Nothing, nothing fancy. It said guys to take track on opening night. There's a few I haven't gotten to watch just because there was 200 games, and that yes, I'm not misspeaking. 200 um, college basketball games were played yesterday. Um, Jet Howard, I watched the entire Michigan game and he, I knew, I knew he had this like ability to shoot threes. I knew he had the size and the speed um, that, that fits his namesake, but I, but I didn't understand that he had this ability to control his pace with size and speed. Typically when you got size and speed, you try to use that as your main advantage. He's got this basketball IQ and, and feel that you don't you don't really see from too many freshmen he may have benefited from playing off of Hunter Dickinson who means which means he's not at the top of the scouting report he was a relative unknown but he scored 30 points in the open scrimmage and then he scored 21 yesterday with eight eight of 15 from the field five of 10 from three had five assists and I was impressed with him defensively too I think there were a couple times where his closeouts weren't weren't so weren't fine but you see that with freshmen he's able to recover pretty nicely had a couple blocks yeah, um, he glides in the open court. He's really coordinated for someone of that size and age. And um, I, I had him as someone that I wanted to watch before I put him on my big board. I kind of released a really rough draft of my big board. And I, I, I kind of meant to put a note that I want to watch him play college basketball first because, I mean, his high school team was absolutely loaded. It's hard to diagnose without seeing him play AAU. And, uh, and 
I'd have to say he's top 20 on my board now just in one game. And I don't typically make huge changes like that. Yeah, you know what's interesting? So I'm working on this NBA draft guide, and I've been working on it like I started on it in August, right? And so for the last maybe two weeks, I've been up four o'clock in the morning, and it's going to be like 100 prospects. So it will drop sometime this week, probably maybe even as early as tomorrow. Just got to do some fine tuning and proofreading and all of that. And I had him as like a guy that was in my top 100. And then it's like, so I go back and watch the film and it's going up and up. And so even though it's like, you know, people may not believe it because it's, it's, it's not out now, but as of yesterday, before the games, I put him in my first round range because what I'm doing this year is different. I'm not doing a big board because well, I'm going to do a big board, but I'm not going to do a big board until January. So right now I have the prospects divided as, in, in my opinion, as project or, or lottery range, first round range, second round range. And then it goes to like this G League camp, training camp range. So, I mean, it's, it's obviously a, a huge window, but I had him in my first round range (laughs) and that was before he played his first game. So now I'm even tempted to, because it's a range, move him up into the lottery range before I I end up releasing this draft guy. So check it out soon. It's coming out soon. It will come out before the end of the week. Just got to do some fine tuning here and there, but it is my first draft guide, hundred prospects deep, but that's, that's a little self promo here, but yeah, I mean, he he stood out. He was impressive. It's weird because, like like you said, he has the speed, but his game isn't based off of speed. It's more so based off of pace and kind of like a little bully ball where he gets you on his shoulder and he just kind of takes you for a ride to get to the rim. And it's very efficient in a sense. Not a lot of wasted movement, not a lot of wasted dribbles. It's just shoot, attack, get right to it, score. And I mean, he, he he might be, and this is early, but this is just kind of based off the, the preseason scrimmage in his first game. He could be like that guy that was outside of most people's first round that ends up being a lottery pick. I mean, I'd be, I'd be pretty surprised at this point if he doesn't end up in the lottery of my board. Um, obviously, you play inferior competition. You're the second option on a scouting report, and you, you're bigger than the wings you're playing against. That That helps. But it wasn't that that like he abused them physically. It was, you know, he had better speed, but he had this, you know, when James Harden drives to the rim and he, you know, back in like in, in James Harden's prime, he had one of the fastest first steps there was, but he would like decelerate and it, there's like an acceleration step and then there's a deceleration step that that's pretty rare. Like, I know it's not as alluring as running a four four forties. I know that's a football term, but you know, same, same idea, end to end speed. And, um, I think Jet Howard would run a really good combine in terms of speed, but his, his deceleration impressed me almost more than his acceleration. And then he shot five of 10 from three. And every time it was like an actual catch and shoot or, or like off a dribble three, he made it. The only ones he really missed were like catch and shoot, but like with a face up in there and a jab step. And, you know, that's a shot that I don't mind necessarily, but I think that he could do like get better. And like we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Brandon Miller, um, Brandon Miller is a guy that gets shots um, that that are head scratchers. Jason Tatum and Palo Bancaro, the same thing. They shot a couple face ups, 
And I didn't mind it because they have capacity. It would be a knock on a scouting report, but it's a capacity thing. And, and I think Jet Howard's got a deep enough bag to to suffice those worries for me. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a way to start his college career. And I, I know it's even, even more meaningful in a sense that he's doing it, you know, playing for his dad at his dad's alma mater. I mean, like, what a dream scenario. All right. Who else stood out to you? Yeah, he was definitely the number one. Uh, I, I was impressed by a couple teams more, more or less. Um, I, I liked, I liked what I saw from from Villanova without Cam Whitmore, and and I, I think I saw a role that he could play. Um, they they played with Caleb Daniels being their feature man. They didn't have Justin Moore, Cam Whitmore, arguably their best two players. But where you saw what the role he could play is. You know, Jermaine Samuels, a fifth-year senior, I think he'll have the exact same role, but he's so much more dynamic, and he can slash and get these isolations at the top. Um, I, I know he didn't play, but I, I, I wanted to point that one out because that was the same, same time slot, and I was kind of going time slot by time slot in the way I organized my notes today. And, and I think that he could, uh, he could really thrive in that, you know, having – the top of the key to himself isolate and then having some back cuts and flex cuts and, and use that physical frame and, and ability to shoot the ball, stretch the floor. And I think Villanova is going to be better than most expected. Yeah, man. It's going to be very interesting. First one and done since Tim Thomas. That's, that's what I'm predicting, but it's not like I'm going out on the limb here. I mean, I think everybody's saying the same thing. All right, I wanted to ask you about one of my favorite players. And again, I can be a little bit biased towards this guy, but Traquavion Smith, he looked he looked dynamite, and I think the the concern with him this year is going to be efficiency. I mean, teams are going to be loading up against him. I mean, their entire defense is going to be geared to stop him. He's not going to catch anybody surprised this year, catch anybody by surprise. But, man, the confidence, the way he was shooting the ball, I'm looking for a, a big breakout year. He's in my lottery range because it, my thought process is – if you do a redraft from, I guess it was the, was it 19, whatever draft Jordan Poole was in, Jordan Poole would be a top, he'd be a lottery pick in a redraft. And I think Turquavion has that type of Jordan Poole type impact on the team, even though he's, he's gained some weight. I think he was listed at like a buck 60. He, he's put on a little bit more now, but despite the fact that he's a little thin, I mean, he can put the ball in the basket. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on Mr. Smith. Yeah. I mean, I think the archetype that's been set up by a guy like Jordan Poole or, or even a bones Highland, um, I think has really carved out a more defined path for Turquavion. Obviously last year you were, you were the head of his bandwagon and I, I kind of hopped on late because uh, you know, you watch the scrimmage and it's hard to ignore that this guy's the best shooter in the scrimmage. Like once it's a basketball setting, he doesn't amaze you with measurements. Once it's a, a scrimmage at the combine, he looked like the best basketball player, maybe not the most promised down the road, but at that current moment, he was the best basketball player. And that's all you can, you can, uh, you can put your eyes to. And then I think you, you nailed it on the head. It's, it's how efficient can he be with the un, almost unbearable amount of responsibility he's going to have to score the ball and be a, a playmaker and I think it's the question is how well he balances it mm -hmm. can he score at a decent clip while getting five assists per game or is it all scoring or is it all assists and if he's able to balance it and I think he will be able to 
Um, and, and NC State's not great, but they do have some guys. Like Casey Morcel is a phenomenal defender. So that takes a little bit of responsibility off of Turquavion Smith to be a point of attack defender off of it. And you obviously hope he's good at defense. And then they've got a few guys in the interior that will be able to put the ball in the bucket, not consistently, but I think it'll allow him to be a 20 and five guy and maybe up to 20, 22 and five. Maybe he can chase TJ Warren's 24 points a game. Um, but at NC State a few years ago, but I, I agree. I had him 18 in the board I released before the season. And, and I think there's room for him to scoot up to 14 if he's able to shoot the ball 37% from three and 80% from the free throw line. I, I think that was the one thing that I wish he did improve is his free throw shooting. Um, obviously, he can shoot the ball. I just, I just think that in terms of efficiency, if you're able to get to the free throw line and convert free throws, that helps a lot of scores. The prime example last year being Bryce McGowan's is I had faith that he'd be able to figure out how to put the ball in the hole because on a terrible team, he found a way to get to the free throw line and score from the charity stripe. Yeah, you know, speaking of Bryce McGowan's, I'm still kind of stunned that he's only on a two-way deal. If I'm not mistaken, he was he was only on a, a two-way deal. But yeah, I'm high on Dracavion. I mean, I don't want to take all the credit and say that I was like the first one really on him, but I just thought it was really odd that this guy was like kind of hiding in plain sight in, in the ACC as, as a freshman, but so much attention was on Ben Carroll and, and Duke and, and all of their, their guys that he kind of went under the radar and the NC state wasn't, wasn't good. But one of the things that I like most about him is that he is righty, but he plays a little lefty. And when he dunks, he has some highlight real worthy dunks last year, despite being small. And they were like all left-handed, like that type of craft and creativity is, is very interesting to me. All right. When we return, I definitely want to hear more about your, your thoughts on guys that stood out. Then I have a few questions for you, but I want to talk to the audience about sweat blocks. So I know this lady named Rebecca and she had this daughter who used to suffer through self-esteem issues because she was always sweaty. She always had like, you know, just a big wet arm, you know, wet stains under her armpits. And Rebecca got a, a text from her daughter after using sweat block once. And she was saying that I'm not sweating and it helped her confidence. And so sweat block was able to fix her problem. And what sweat block is, are there are these wipes and they're basically like your little secret to confidence, confidence, sweat block wipes up to seven days per use. You can apply them on Sunday and you will stay dry all week. So if you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor try sweat block you can save up to 20 percent with the promo code locked on at sweatblock.com it is also available at amazon so once again check it out sweat block it gives you the confidence to wear it where you want without the embarrassing sweat once again thank you for making the locked on nba big board podcast your first listen of the day now for your second listen check out the locked on sports today from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and the insights that only Locked On can provide and Locked On Sports Today. It is available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. Once again, this is Rafael Barlow with my co-host, Leif Tulin, the guy that watches more college basketball than anyone, so I know he has to be exhausted. All right, I wanted to ask you about Grady Dick. He had a good performance against Omaha. 
Now, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. I was born and raised. And when I grew up, it was called the University of Nebraska at Omaha. It was known as UNO. It would never sound right to me to call it Omaha. It is UNO to me. So it's always it, it, it's always weird to see, you know, the, the name on the schedule, but I digress. So what were your thoughts on Grady Dick's performance? Oh, I didn't watch the entirety of this one. I watched their scrimmage, though. Um, so Grady Dick, I've seen a fair amount of and in, in the Kansas uniform. Obviously, 23 points, 9 of 13 shooting, 4 of 6 from 3 is going to stand out and be like, wow, that's, you know, why aren't you regarding him like you regarded Jet Howard, who Grady Dick was more efficient than, scored more points than against pretty much level competition. The answer to that being is I think the way he scores is less um, less translatable than the way Jet Howard did. But that said, Grady Dick scored the ball extremely efficiently, shot the ball up to the billing and maybe even then some of what people came in people said well if he shoots well he could be a first round pick and, and I think that's still the case I think the big 12 is the hardest league in the country for freshmen to do well in because they're, they're veteran the defenses are tenacious especially from the backcourt I mean look look at the backcourts of Baylor has veteran guards they play a no middle defense Texas Tech is super long plays a no middle defense Kansas which is obviously Grady's team so he won't play against them they're big and play play a very good defense Oklahoma State gets a ton of steals. Oklahoma has Porter Moser at the helm, who Loyola Chicago's defense for 10 years was elite, according to Ken Palm. Um, just that, lost that being, to – who they lose to yesterday? Something Houston Sam State. Houston. Sam Houston. Sam yeah. Houston, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Grady – I digress a little bit. I think his numbers are – I don't want to say fool's gold, but they're, they're, they're going to be impo- almost impossible to replicate once you get to Big 12 play. So I'm, re- I'm waiting – I'm reserving my judgment for how he does in Big 12 play when defenses kind of have a scouting report set and, and how he's able to adapt, how he's able to imp- uh, improv. Because if you can shoot, if you can shoot, you can shoot. Like if he gets a few stand, uh, standstill threes and a few baseline cuts for dunks, which is what he got in the scrimmage, and I've seen only highlights of, and I guess, maybe – four or five minutes of this game live and then only highlights the rest of it, which is what I saw. Um, I, I'm going to be a little more hesitant to, to buy the stock, but I, it certainly doesn't hurt that you're hitting four of six threes. Like you're shooting 67% from three in college basketball. Well, welcome to the league, big man. But I, I just, I want to, I want to see him do it against better competition and when he has to go off script. So it doesn't sound like you're hundred percent sold on, on Grady. I think that, what helps him is he has good positional size and he has a defined role in in the NBA as, as a shooter. I think he's a little bit underrated as an athlete. It's very easy to put, and I don't want to pull out the race car, but it's very easy to put white guys that can shoot in a box and just label them as shooters only. But I think he has a little bit, a little bit more, more to his game there. Not a freak athlete, but he is a good athlete, especially if he has a runway. He can make some 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 decent dunks at the rim if he has a runway. Not like, you know, just vertical pop, great vertical pop from a standstill, but I, I like him a lot. Who else stood out to you from yesterday's performances? Well, I think I think you got to take a journey to the SEC and you go look at a couple of these teams with star-studded freshmen. Cason Wallace is a guy that played point guard because Severe Wheeler was out, and I don't think he's not he's necessarily not a point guard at the next level. I think he can play like a combo guard. But he, he did a very good job at the point guard collecting a near triple-double. 
Um, and, and I'm just impressed with the force he plays with. Um, I kind of pictured him as a, like a kind of a, the ultimate glue guy, someone who could defend the best player on the point of attack or rebound, um, hit open shots, get to the rim a little bit, but I didn't expect him to, you know, have the repertoire at least this early to, to get you eight assists. And, and I was proven wrong. I liked the force he played with. Um, typically Kentucky guards get better once they're in the NBA too. And that bodes yeah. well. Um, I, I was impressed and, and defensively, I think he's got a chance to be, um, this is a bit of a deeper reference for college basketball fans, but he reminds me a little bit of Ashton Hagen's on defense with far more offensive upside. So it's, it's interesting to, to hear, um, people talk about, uh, Kaysen and, especially for me, because I was filming him when he was like in fourth grade. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, I knew he was going to be a McDonald's all American and project a lottery pick, but I just pure coincidence. I was filming guys and I had mentioned a story before and I talked about it in an article, NBA big board, but what I did not realize until maybe about a week or so ago that I was talking to his coach and his coach mentioned that Kaysen's dad would not let him shoot outside of the paint until he was 13. And the, you know, the coaches were like, you know, he's passing an open shot. So when he was playing as a, I mean, giving a scouting report on a kid when he was like nine years old, <laughs> but when he was like nine or 10 years old, he only played in the paint. And so it, it's weird in a sense, because now I kind of see the dad's long-term plan behind it was it made him physical in a sense because all he played was like the four at, at fourth grade. And I mean, he was tall for his, for his age, but he was physical and he defended and he never got into like settling for jumpers or fall in love with, with the jump shot. And so the jump shot was like the very last stage of his development, which is, is pretty good if you consider that he's only really started shooting jumpers like four years ago. And there are guys that their jump shot is like their biggest concern and their biggest weakness. And they probably were shooting jumpers at, at an, at an early age. And so it makes me believe that his jump shot is going to be really good later on, because again, he just started shooting jumpers. His dad would not let him shoot outside of the paint until he was like 13, but everything that his dad planned, you know, the game plan for his game is translated in a sense, because again, like I said, he's physical, he's unselfish, and he just has a he plays the right way like he's one of the safest guys in this draft and he's not a guy that when I watch his film you have like a glaring weakness like you know like there's some guys you watch their film and you say all right this is the swing skill if he does this he can be this and I, in my opinion I think Kaysen is one of the more balanced guys in in this in this draft just because he just does so many things, so many things well. But I actually spoke to a scout and he talked about Kaysen. And I wanted to get your opinion on this. He said that Kaysen is a guy that the front office may pass up because they're thinking more so about long-term upside. They may not think that he has the greatest upside, but he said he's a guy that all the coaches are going to beg the front office, draft this guy. What are your thoughts on that? I, uh, I wouldn't have phrased it that way, but I had a question for you that was essentially asking the same question. I was about to ask you about his upside. So my, my take on it is 
I don't think there's a coach that wouldn't want a guy like this. Like you, you project him to be a plus defender, maybe a plus plus defender. Um, shooting the ball, I think he can easily within a few years in the NBA shoot third upper 30% because he'll, he'll, he won't shoot bad once he plays within himself. And that's always been a, a trait that I've really liked a guy like Deandre Hunter, for instance, at, at Virginia, he always played within himself. And I think he could have scored 20 a game in the ACC, but yeah, he was the third leading scorer, but he was picked fourth. I, I really appreciate that skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, Deandre Hunter was also a defensive player of the year in the ACC and won a national championship. Kentucky's just, got the pieces just to got do paid. that. What do you get? Ninety five. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but the I'm not directly comparing the two, but I think there there are some overlaps. Is is that Casey Wallace will defend? He'll be the probably the best defender on this Kentucky team that I think is national championship caliber good um he'll be able to shoot um, in the nba he'll play within himself i think he's gonna be one of the better guard rebounders in college basketball and i think he can do that at the nba level i think he'll be able to be a secondary facilitator now and at the nba level and so i have a number 11 or 12 on my board i can't exactly remember um but but i i agree i think there's going to be a team that's going to regret passing him up because they see someone with a more shiny skill set um, something that's a little more alluring in the short term. And they're like, oh, if we build like, for instance, Usman Jang, Usman Jang from last year went, uh, went 11th. And, and w- would you take Usman Jang or Kaysen Wallace if you're trying to be safe? And a team picking 12th, I, I think Kaysen Wallace is or 11th or 12th. Likely, if you don't have the 12th pick like the Thunder did where they took Jalen Williams, the Jalen Williams of this year's draft um, is, is Kaysen Wallace. I, I think those two are pretty comparable. Um, now that I think about it. And then the other thing I would, I, I think is a interesting thing is I don't know if they're direct comparisons, but Jalen Williams played point guard at, at Santa Clara and Casey Wallace could, is kind of playing the combo, but he almost reminds me of a mix between like Jalen Williams who can cut off ball and a bit of like a Marcus smart in the sense that he'll be extremely switchable defensively. That'll be a strong suit. And once he develops the playmaking and shooting, then his career is going to take off. I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be defensive player of the year, so don't like for those listening, don't misconstrue that prediction. But I think in a skill set fashion, they're comparable. Yeah. And I mean, the comparison that you've been hearing a lot is Drew Holiday. That's that's probably the most. Uh, I don't know, talked about comparison. Um, but yeah, I like the thing that you mentioned that he's a, a good rebounder for a guard. And, and like I mentioned, like a few minutes back, that was like his dad's game plan all along which is why he played like the four <laughs> when he was younger and he already has like the the timing and the instincts and 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 of, of playing like as bigger than his size and then once he developed the guard skill set everything became really well-rounded so I thought it was a very interesting developmental plan all right I have a few more questions for you but bet online is your number one source for all of your sports betting info stats news and analysis and you can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those also at betonline. We got the fastest and the easiest way to get your betting fixed. So head to the website today and use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. All right, once again, you are listening to the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast, and Leaf is going over some of the players that stood out to him in college basketball's opener where there was like 200 games on top of every NBA team played. I mean, it was just 
a ridiculous amount of basketball, but I'd rather have that than no basketball, which is something that we've had. We're just getting out of that season where we didn't have basketball. And for us at the Lockdown NBA Big Board Podcast, I'll be honest, there were times where we were talking amongst each other like, what in the world are we going to talk about? <laughs> there has not been basketball, especially college basketball since April, but now we have a lot to talk about. All right, so who else stood out to you yesterday? I think uh, if you look at the SEC, the Arkansas game was intriguing because Nick Smith, who's many project to be the third pick, some so I, I have him at fifth or sixth, um, and, and he didn't play. And so that put a lot of focus on a guy like Anthony Black, who I came in a little lower on despite a fascinating skill set than the majority. Uh, I tend to like kind of jumbo size creators, but I didn't see it with Anthony Black um, in, in terms of going into this. And I, there's obviously tons of time to be proven wrong, and I hope I am wrong. But I had him outside my top 20 by a decent, a decent amount uh, entering the season. And then he played. And then he played last night, and, and I just didn't like see him create any seven? separation. Was he like one and for seven he, or something like that? He was one for seven with uh, – oh, man, I lost my box score. But he was one for seven with three points, I think. And then uh, Jordan Walsh, who I am pretty high on as a, as a connecting piece, reminds me a little bit of Dalen Terry and how he got a big rise last year. It depends the, the way he's played. Terry was almost the pseudo point guard for Arizona. Um, they both had subpar debuts for, Arizona, uh, for Arkansas. And I think that the speed of the game is, is, is a concern for me for a guy, a guy like Anthony black, but there's plenty of time for him to write the ship. So, yeah. So um, with, with black, I spoke to a scout last week and it's in an article that I posted and uh, he mentioned that black is not an alpha. And that was one of his concerns. And he felt like he could be too passive even though seven shots yesterday, I mean, that's that's a fair amount of attempts in the college game. But he did have some concerns about him not necessarily being aggressive. And uh, the athleticism thing is really weird because on, on one hand, he doesn't get separation, but he's a sneaky good athlete. And it's it's really weird because he gets and I talked about it yesterday in a podcast. He gets a fair share amount of game dunks, despite not being like really, really explosive. So I wanted to ask you, and even though it is one game, and it's a very small sample size, but you look at Anthony Black was one for seven. Tyrese Proctor was 0 for eight. How much do you care about that, considering that they struggled mightily against competition that they were supposed to dominate? And then I guess you could say the same for um, Jairus Walker, I think he was like three for 14, but he did do some other things. Is it just first game jitters or is it one of those things where you're like, all right, if you have certain concerns about a player and then you see them struggle against, again, like lower level competition, does that make you say, ah, I knew it. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely an element of confirmation bias, but like, but like I said, I, uh, I want to be wrong that I'm low on Anthony black. I like his game. Like I love passers. I mean, we, we had a, one of the first podcasts we did together, we talked about the best point guards and I was, I was ranting and raving about Dalen Terry. And, and then, then I started talking about Dyson Daniels and, and guys that weren't necessarily even point guards. So I love a jumbo creator. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, but I, I just didn't think his, his athleticism is, is almost, 
I, w- I wouldn't say it's, it's functional, but it's not like the dynamic athleticism in functional settings. Like he gets in-game dunks, and, and that's true. But I, I attribute that more to length, whether I'm right or wrong. I'm not concerned with one for seven or Tyrese Proctor going 0 for 8 necessarily. Um, maybe if it's a reoccurring theme. But I, but I think there's some first-game jitters. There's some unfamiliarity playing with your teammates. Um, there's some players that are trying to find new roles. A lot of these guys that we're talking about aren't the best player on their basketball team for the first time in their life. And they're trying to find their new roles and they're second guessing things. So in terms of the shooting percentages, I'm not terribly worried, but I am a little worried for the, in the case of Anthony black, I haven't watched the Duke game yet. And I, I I guess I can reaffirm this later. Um, But for Anthony black, I, I just didn't, I didn't like the kind of the creation or the separation he created. And as for the case of Jarace Walker, my takeaway was actually the opposite of being concerned for three of 14. The guy rebounds like a madman. Obviously Houston's great at rebounding. Everyone that goes there rebounds really well, but like you see his body rebounding and, and yes, they're playing Northern Colorado, not the biggest school, but um, he physically just looks the part he's put on some muscle since playing at IMG and he was already a pretty physical a- athlete. He gets to places he wants missed a few bunnies that I'm sure he'll be like, okay, I'm going to make that next time. And he makes Houston a really interesting team because like they, they got Jamal shed back Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark come back. And, and now they got a four that can run the floor and do multiple things rather than just be a rim, like on a kind of a, a bruising type. And Houston looked really, really good. But I think Jarez Walker's stock doesn't drop because of inefficiency. Anthony Black's, the because of the way he was inefficient, becomes a little bit tenuous for me. I was surprised that Walker didn't have any assists, if I'm not mistaken. When I looked at the box, but he didn't have any assists. And I think he's arguably the best passing big in this class. And actually, let me, let me ask you this question. Best passing big man. Kyle Filipowski from Duke, Walker, or Wimbenyama? Wimbenyama. I'm not even saying that to be facetious. I really do. I really do think he's got the innate ability, one, to look over a defense because he's 7'5. Yeah. He's got some um, angles that nobody else will ever have. <laughs> yeah. And, and two, because of the attention he creates, he's able to have different lanes than a guy like Drace Walker has by kind of crashing the rim, making making their repasses and he can play under control and have he's used to having good teammates. And I think that's his advantage. Um, but when Benyama is, he's just got this feel that I don't think I, I, any of the other two do. Interesting. He, you can make a case, say he's the best player, best defender, best shot blocker. Now best passer. Maybe not the best passer, but the best of that trio. Yeah. I guess. Well, best big man passer. So, yeah. All right, man, that wraps it up. And I know you probably have more college basketball to to get to today. But thank you so much for making this Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen. Now check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It is available on Odyssey, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Rafael Barlow with my co-host Leaf Tulane. We just gave a recap of last night's opening day, opening night. Well, I guess there was a day game with, with Baylor. And we didn't even get a chance to to talk on Keontae George making, I mean, 
you know, it was it was it was Mississippi Valley State, but he did get some people excited with his passing. And the clip that's been circulating is a defensive possession that he had, which is something that people were concerned about regarding Keontae. But we'll talk about him plenty in the next few months going forward. But thanks again for listening. Stay tuned for tomorrow, and we are out. <laughs>